Welcome to the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Greg Gonzalez. My goal for the podcast is to help you live a better life in retirement by giving you the tools and information you need in a language that you can understand. Most listeners know that I am a financial planner in St. Louis, Missouri with clients in almost 20 different states. Been doing the podcast almost two years now. And over the last six months, I've started to notice the popularity of the listenership to our podcast has really taken off. We've received a lot of emails and questions from listeners, and we want to encourage all of our listeners to submit your questions to retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. At the bottom, there's Ask Greg a Question. You can submit your question right there. And for a lot of the questions, we use them for podcast episodes. And on today's episode, we're going to be highlighting some of the best questions that we heard from listeners so far in this two-year journey of a podcast. Also, I have one terrific question that somebody submitted this past week that I wanted to go over about Social Security. It's a heck of a question. So we're going to talk about that new question and show you some of the highlights from the best questions over the past almost 24 months. If you're a new listener, I want to encourage you to check out our website. Like I said, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. There's a lot of free resources that are available to you. If you're wanting to plan for your own successful retirement, you can download those right on the website. And then also we offer to only our podcast listeners our very own pre-retirement assessment. So this is for the people that are maybe a couple years out from retirement and want to know if they're on track, are there any gaps in their current plan, and was really created because so many people are looking for that honest assessment of where they stand when it comes to retirement. So again, that's available on the homepage of our website. You can read about it and schedule your introduction phone meeting to get started with that. All right, let's jump into one of the best listener questions we've had in a long time. This is from Paul. Paul said he's a new listener, and his email is very, very extensive. I bet there's 14 paragraphs in this email, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to kind of paraphrase, but Paul, thank you so much for your question. He submitted it right through our website at the bottom there. And Paul's question, in a nutshell, is talking about his Social Security benefit and all of the research that he's been doing on his own and all the articles he's been reading. He came to the conclusion that filing and suspending his benefit at his full retirement age would be the best scenario for him because then at any point after full retirement age, he could go back to Social Security and say, hey, I messed up. I wanted to claim my benefit at my full retirement age, and Social Security would write him a lump sum check for the difference of those years, and then his benefit would start at the value it was of his full retirement age. And his concern was, well, what if my health really declines between my full retirement age and 70? And worst case scenario, he said in his email, what if he developed a life-threatening condition, like a disease or something, cancer? He could go back to Social Security and say, hey, write me a big check. I want my Social Security for the last X amount of years since I file and suspended it at my full retirement age. And then he could pick up right where he would have, as far as a monthly benefit is concerned, at full retirement age. Well, the problem with this, Paul, is that I want you to check the date on the article that you read this file and suspend method because 
the bipartisan act of 2015 really changed how file and suspend works. And one of those features that they did away with was the lump sum. So social security, if you file and suspend, they're not ever going to write you a lump sum check at any point in the future. In case you changed your mind, let's say at age 69, and you said, oh, well, I want to check for the last three years of benefits because my health has really declined. They don't do that anymore. They took that feature away. And so the Bipartisan Act of 2015, it got rid of some of these, what the politicians called unintended consequences or unintended loopholes of how the Social Security file and suspend and file and restricted strategies worked. So, Paul, I like your idea of the file and suspend. Unfortunately, it's outdated and it doesn't work anymore. But for years before 2015, we were using that for clients here and there. Another one of those loopholes was the file a restricted application with your spouse. Let's assume Paul and his wife, Paul's benefit was $3,000. His wife was the same age. Her benefit's $2,000 a month, both full retirement age. So what Paul could do, he could file a restricted application. His wife would get, again, her full $2,000 a month. He would get half of the wife's, so he would get $1,000, and then he would let his own benefit defer until age 70 and collect it when it was a lot, lot higher. It would defer 8% per year. Well, again, the 2015 Bipartisan Act got rid of that loophole. And we use that quite a few times with the clients that we worked with. But again, it's no longer in use. It's no longer available to Social Security recipients today. But one point I want to make, I guess the takeaway or lesson here is be careful what you read on the internet with reading these old articles that happen to be out there. It can really get you into some trouble. All right, let's jump to the next question. Bill writes, Greg, I just turned 72 this year. And I have to take an RMD, required minimum distribution, by the end of the year. It's about $15,000. If I don't need the money, can I just do a Roth conversion for $15,000 so that money goes to my Roth instead of my bank account? Thanks, Bill. Bill, this is a fantastic question. I'm so glad you submitted it. Please don't make this mistake. So with an RMD, required minimum distribution, $15,000 for Bill, if you try to do a Roth conversion, so you pay the taxes on the 15 grand, and then if you pay them out of pocket, the entire $15,000 then goes to Bill's Roth IRA where it can grow tax-free. You can do that, Bill, but you're still gonna need to take another $15,000 out of your IRA or 401k as a distribution, which will then qualify for your RMD. Roth conversions do not count towards that required minimum distribution amount. I have seen and heard many, many people make that mistake. Again, you can do the Roth conversion. It just don't count that towards your 15 grand. Great question, Bill. The next question comes from another female listener named Betsy. Betsy asks, Greg, I have a question about my husband's pension. We have differing opinions on how he should claim his pension. I am afraid that his pension will default or not be there down the road, whereas my husband wants a monthly check for the rest of his life, just like his father had. I think my husband should take the lump sum because my uncle's pension went bankrupt and had financial issues, and his pension got cut big time. We also don't need the monthly income every month because we can live fine on our social security because we're debt-free. What do you say to me and my husband? What would you recommend? Well, Betsy, 
it seems like you've got kind of got your mind made up because it seems like you were scarred from your uncle's experience with his pension. And your husband, on the other hand, he thinks that his dad had a blessing with a pension for the rest of his life. So he sees the value in a monthly paycheck. But you also said that you don't need the monthly income. So that's another concern that I had. I would want to look at how well-funded is the pension. So I would want to look at some of the documentation to show me that. I would also want to know if the pension offers a partial lump sum. That might be a little middle ground, a smaller monthly annuity pension, as well as a, a partial lump sum that you could roll over to an IRA or something like that. I would also be curious, it, it sounds like you're both collecting your social security benefits at this point, but what other retirement resources do you have? Do you have a 401k Roth IRA or something like that? So if you don't have so much saved for retirement, in other words, if your retirement nest egg is really made up mostly of this lump sum pension, right? And the value of that lump sum, well, then you've got liquidity concerns and it may make more sense to either take a partial lump sum or a full lump sum. And then you've got to ask yourselves, well, how are we going to invest this money to make sure it lasts as long as you do and or even longer, hopefully? And then also that it's invested properly to suit your comfort level. And then, of course, another consideration is the tax benefits. What is your tax situation going to look like if you do take the monthly annuity pension option and your Social Security versus taking the lump sum option and rolling that over to an IRA? So you would want to look at both sides of the coin and say, OK, let's make a comparison from a tax standpoint, and that may help you decide. So I hope that helps, Betsy. If you have any questions, you know how to reach me. There's a lot of unknowns that I don't know about your situation that would really dictate some of the decision-making. But hopefully you and your husband can come to an agreement that you're both comfortable with. The next question comes from John. John says that he is planning on delaying his Social Security benefits until age 70, but he is 63, wants to retire at 65 and jump on Medicare, and wants to know what's the best way to pay for the Medicare Part B premiums if someone is not yet collecting Social Security. So for those of you that don't know, Medicare Part B premium is income-based. But for most people, if your income, I think it's 176000 or below for a married couple. So for most people, your Medicare Part B premium is going to start at $148.50 per month. So if you're 65, you're collecting Social Security, that Medicare Part B premium comes right out of your Social Security benefit. Now, Medicare Part B is actually increasing, as I said on a previous podcast, for 2022, it's going to go from $148.50 to, I think it's $170.10 or something like that. So it's going up about 14.5% in just one year's time. So what John's asking is, okay, if I'm 65 and I'm on Medicare, I got to pay that Medicare Part B out of pocket every month because it can't come out of my Social Security benefit because I'm delaying that until 70. John wants to know what's the best way to pay that next year. Again, we'll call it 170 bucks a month. Well, John, in my opinion, and it sounds like you're a couple of years away from retirement, if your company has, if your employer has an HSA, health savings account, I like to see people kind of build that up prior to retirement and then use that 
to pay for Medicare Part B premiums, dental expenses, vision expenses, deductibles that may be a part of Medicare, co-payments and co-insurance costs that, that are part of Medicare, over-the-counter medicine, all that kind of stuff. So John, if I was in your shoes, hopefully your company offers an HSA health savings account and you can contribute to that. And then once you're retired, jump on Medicare at 65, you can use that HSA to pay for those Medicare Part B premiums. I'm a huge fan of HSAs, believe me. And I realize not everybody has access to them, but um, they're becoming more and more popular. So John, hopefully that helps you. And to recap Medicare, I, I know Medicare is brand new until you get close to retirement and then, okay, we become accustomed to it. But that Medicare Part B premium, that will pay for 80% of your healthcare costs. And again, it's going from $148.50 to 170 bucks a month. Now, what about the other 20%? Well, for, to fill that gap, there's Medicare supplement plans that some people choose, or they go with Medicare Advantage plans. And why you pick one or the other is to fill that 20% that difference that you're on the hook for. So that's one of the big decisions that people have once they get close to 65 is, okay, is a Medicare supplement plan better for me? Or am I better suited to go with a Medicare Advantage plan? I would kind of look at the differences and do your own research. Hopefully you can find a independent agent that can help you with that. Next question comes from an email I got from Tim. And I also had a very nice client that I really enjoy working with. His name's Mark. He's local here in St. Louis, Missouri. And their question was about the Series I savings bonds, which have been announced. The interest rate is 7.12%. Is that something we should consider for our emergency funds? And of course, I recommend all listeners, if you're interested in this topic, to, to do your own research. If you Google Series I savings bonds, you'll see what we're seeing on the Treasury Direct website. You have to purchase these savings bonds online, which some people don't like. You can't purchase them through a financial institution anymore since 2012, but they come with a fixed interest rate and an interest rate that is based on inflation. And with inflation through the roof this year, the interest rate that they're paying, we just announced in November 2021, was 7.12%. So for the next six months, and they pay interest semi-annually every six months, they credit the interest, someone owning one of these savings bonds is going to earn half of 7.12%. And then, of course... In April, they'll announce the next interest rate, which will be based on inflation at that point in time. I would be shocked if it wasn't lower than 7.12% in April of 22. The other thing to consider is we're not talking about a lot of money here. You're limited to $10,000 per person. So a couple, they can you know, theoretically put away $10,000 into a savings bond for the husband's name, $10,000 for the wife's name, which for a lot of people, they're not even going to mess with that for two $10,000 worth of savings bonds. There's a lot more details on the website, such as if you cash one of these out early, you give up three months worth of interest. That's the penalty. So as far as taxes and all that, you can check it out. There's a frequently asked questions link right there on the website so you can read more about Series I savings bonds 
and whether that fits for a part of your emergency fund. Next question is kind of an open-ended question from Tammy and a very long email that she sent. Tammy said, Greg, I enjoy the podcast and I'm in a pickle. I just inherited a $400,000 IRA from my mom who passed away this fall and other accounts that total $700,000. How will this impact my retirement? Do I have to pay taxes on everything? Will I pay an inheritance tax? Will this throw me into the highest tax bracket? Help, Tammy. So first off, Tammy, the $400,000 IRA I'll talk about first. And there, there's a lot of unknowns in your question, which you know maybe we can talk about over the phone. But the inherited IRA, $400,000 IRA, the rules are, and they have changed with the SECURE Act, which was passed just a couple of years ago, starting for anybody who inherits mom or dad's IRA starting January 1st of 2020, you have 10 years to take the withdrawals out of the IRA. So that means you might say, I'm going to take in the first five years, I'm not going to take anything out of mom or dad's IRA. In this case, it's mom's IRA. But in the next, in year six through 10, I'm going to basically take everything out of it. Well, why would you do that? Well, maybe you're not going to retire for five years. Tammy did not mention if she's retired or not. But let's say she wasn't going to retire for five years. But once she retired, she would be in a lower tax environment. And then it makes more sense to start taking those distributions out of her inherited or beneficiary IRA at that point. So yes, Tammy, depending on how you take those distributions out of your beneficiary IRA, that's all going to be taxable at the federal level. Now, depending on what state you're in, you didn't mention, some states will tax IRA distributions and other states will not. The other thing I can tell you is with beneficiary IRAs, even if you're under 59 and a half, Tammy, you're not going to pay a 10% early withdrawal penalty on an inherited IRA. That does not apply. You could be 40 years old with an inherited IRA and you're not going to pay that 10% early withdrawal penalty. Based on the amounts that you've given me here, Tammy, so it's $700,000 total. So that tells me that $300,000 that you inherited is outside of mom's IRA. But based on that if that figure, and that's a lot of money, don't get me wrong, but there will be no estate tax or inheritance tax for that money, unless the state in which you live in has some kind of estate tax. One of your questions was, how will this impact your retirement? Well, anything you add, I mean, whenever you inherit $700,000, I mean, obviously this is going to improve it, but you want to make sure that this is a blessing and not a curse. So I would recommend meeting with a fiduciary financial advisor and a tax advisor to make sure you can kind of make some smart decisions and that this doesn't just crush you tax-wise. Because depending on how you take these distributions from the IRA and how the other accounts are taxed, and I don't have enough information to help you with the other 300000 I mean, I don't know if it's an annuity or mutual funds or anything like that. But yes, depending on what plan you come up with, what game plan you come up with, well, gosh, this could push up your retirement a number of years if you're not yet retired. It may mean that you'll be able to pay off a lot of debt and be able to retire earlier. I mean, so many different unknowns here, Tammy. So I hope that helps. But if you're in a bit of a pickle, as you said, I would get some people on your side, certainly a tax advisor. 
That is it for this episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. I hope you've all maybe learned something and enjoyed these listener questions. They're submitted from people just like you. You can submit your question. Go to our website, retirementmadeeasypodcast.com. I'll see you next week for a new episode of the Retirement Made Easy podcast. And remember, always dream big. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, please consult your attorney, tax advisor, or financial advisor prior to investing. This is a hypothetical example and is not representative of any specific investment. Your results may vary. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices mentioned are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The Smart Vester program is a directory of investment professionals. Neither Dave Ramsey nor SmartVestor are affiliates of St. Louis Retirement Advisors or LPL Financial. There is no guarantee that a diversified portfolio will enhance overall returns or outperform a non-diversified portfolio. Diversification does not protect against market risk. All investing involves risk, including loss of principal. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, Memra FINRA, SIPC. 